You're listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer with Gina Militia, one of Australia's leading portrait celebrity and lifestyle photographers. With over 25 years' experience in the industry, Gina is a pro photographer who regularly travels the world shooting for some of the country's top magazines and advertisers. She is author of four best-selling books on photography, runs workshops and mentors aspiring photographers all around the world. In conversation with journalist, interviewer and budding amateur photographer Valerie Koo, Gina reveals what it takes to build a successful photography business, provides a sneak peek into life behind the lens and talks about her tips and techniques to get the perfect shot. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 77 of So You Want to Be a Photographer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with the awesome Gina Militia. How are you Gina? I'm great Val, how are you going? I'm good, what's been going on in your world? Oh, it's busy, so I think as this uh, podcast airs, I will be in Sicily, Val. So That's pretty darn um, exciting. Exciting, so check my Instagram. Hopefully there'll be uh, interesting photos up there by now. So, mm. yeah, I'm, like the, the uh, entire week is just trying to get stuff done so I can go and then having to make that really difficult choice of what to take and what to leave behind <laughs> in terms of gear. It's like Sophie's choice. It's like, I love you, softbox, but you're going to have to stay behind. But, yeah, so that, that's, uh, that's, that's tough. But what about you, Val? What about me? Jeez, I've just been knee-deep in, in work because we're getting a new website created for the Australian Writer Centre. So it's been really time-consuming doing all that's of that exciting. kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it is time-consuming. I mm. remember when we were doing ours, it was like, it was like <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, uh, and so I, I can't wait for it to be done, but that's probably at least a couple of months off. Wow. That's mm. huge. But I have also realised the amount of, like, the, the photos that I'm going to need for it, and I'm going to, I'm trying to figure out whether to, you know, Put a bit of a creative challenge upon myself and shoot some of them. Why wouldn't you, Val? You like you <laughs> uh, don't give yourself enough credit yeah. for the fact that you do have a really good eye. I mean, having been an editor for so long, you look, you know what a good photo is. You have like you've proven yourself to have a great eye. The videos you've been shooting. Um, have been really, I'm impressed, Val, <laughs> the way you see. So it's all there. Now we just need to translate that to stills. And like just a small suggestion. Yes. Just sort of broaden the subject range that you're photographing. And like I love your coffee shots and I do love <laughs> your food shots and I love the cat shots. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> right. And they could feature on the website for sure. <laughs> yes. But maybe, I don't know, like out your window, just have a look out to the left. Yes, yeah. yes. What do you see? The Harbour Bridge and the Opera House. Right. <laughs> maybe, I don't know, uh, take a photo of that. Maybe, yeah, I'll, I'll have to give it a go. Actually, the, we're about to become deluged with photographers in Sydney because coming up is vivid and 
for people who aren't familiar with Vivid, it is a festival of, it started off as a festival of light, but now it's a festival of light and ideas and music and a whole range of different things. But it's essentially where Sydney or the main parts of Sydney, like the Harbour Bridge and the Opera House and all the iconic buildings around the foreshores get lit up at night by the most amazing spectacle of lights. And um, it's, it's, it just looks amazing. And be, all the foreshores of the harbour are lined with so many people doing their nighttime photography. I and, know. Um, yeah. It's incredible. I, I wish I could, like I know I just missed it last year. Yes. I've missed it again this year, next year, because it's like I couldn't think of a more photogenic city in oh. the world than Sydney. Sydney yeah. at night is it's breathtaking it really is an impressive sight so my challenge to you valerie koo i'd like something decent not on your iphone but on your big girl camera yes of vivid like you we've done enough podcasts now about how to do long exposure photography night photography you've got 15 tripods there's no (laughs) excuse there's no excuse and like you're right there you don't even have to find a car like you're there yes it's true like you have to like oh my god you've got to go out the front door of your office and what is it 10 paces yes (laughs) and there it is it's yeah i'll have to all right all right i'll give it a go after find one of my 15 (laughs) i'm a bit scared of night photography i don't usually do it so it's easy val yeah okay i get it it's easy. You know how to do, use the light meter. Yes. You're just going to get it in the middle. You're going to crank up your ISO fairly mm. high. You're going to shoot on a, a high aperture because you want everything to be nice and in detail. And you may be going to wait for, I don't know, half an hour, just, just like as the sun's setting so that there's still some color in the yeah. sky. You can see the lights as well. Oh, my God. It's going to look amazing. And then just do lots of shots and bracket and Show us. Okay. <laughs> Show us. <laughs> All right. So while, uh, while Gina's going to Sicily, I will be in Sydney with Vivid. So yes. let's move on. We wanted to give some shout-outs this week, and one of the people we wanted to give a shout-out to is Paul Mansell. Yeah. And what Paul has done, he sent us a couple of photos of an Australian politician, and um, he did – the shots for this politician, yeah. and we'll put the images in the show notes, which you will find at GinaMilitia.com. That's M-I-L-I-C-I-A. And one of the great things about this particular shoot, it was for an independent candidate in his uh, electorate, is that the guy, the politician, wasn't really sure of how he wanted the images shot. So the brief to Paul was, whatever you think is best. What a golden brief to get. I mean, yes. that is both beautiful and terrifying at the same time, don't you think, Val, when yes. someone says something like that? Because uh, it can be fantastic when you know exactly how you want to photograph that person or it can be really scary if you're looking at them going, well, I've got no clue. Mm. But uh, I think he did a great job. Yeah, did a very good job. So what Paul did was he made sure he asked the candidate about his platform and mm. what issues he thinks are important. So he, at least Paul was armed with that to know what kind of issues this candidate wanted to represent. So, yeah, very good shots. We'll put them um, in, in the show notes 
in terms of making someone look like, um, you know, trustworthy, I think Paul did a very good job and also approachable. And, and uh, he's done shot from a slightly lower angle so that the guy does look um, powerful. I don't think you'd want to photograph a politician as being less than in, in terms of stature. You'd want them to look uh, both. It's that, that fine line between approachable and mm. then sort of uh, powerful as well. But I think he's done a good job. The body language is good. Probably mm. if I uh, had a small critique, I would want uh, maybe a bit more of, of a smile uh, mm. in the shots, I think, just to be even more approachable. I mean, it, it's an honest, earnest face, isn't mm. it? Yeah, definitely. Um, and a, definitely a very strong portrait, so well done. And I, I really love the background and yes. the um, the way he's posed him. It, it, it looks really confident. I love the lighting as well. Yeah, the so lighting's beautiful. Let's move on to Doug Smith. Now, Doug took a... Um, photo in black and white and we put that in the show notes as well and if you want to have a look at it but what did you want to say about this one Gina? So he um, he he put these uh, uh, shared these photos uh, with me, and he, he said that um, he got asked. Uh, a friend suggested that he uh, edit them as uh, monochrome, mm. and um, he's done a few different versions, and uh, some with slightly more contrast than others. And uh, wanted to know uh, which which I preferred. And uh, when when looking at the two images, you've got the the, the image at the the top. He's got two. There's three versions I've put two in the show notes Val Mm -hmm. but one is um and just to highlight that like one has uh no real black in the image it's very gray the whites look very gray and I think overall um it sort of lets the image down when you can't see a good black or a good white it just it looks very flat and lacks contrast so basically it's a photo of a girl on a set of stairs and he's shooting from uh the uh, the flight of stairs above her so she's looking up and she's sitting there you know right in the middle of the stairs with her knees apart and her arms resting on her thighs just looking up quite confidently and quite boldly it's a cool shot because all the all the leading lines in the shot and it's it's very graphic it's perfect for black and white but the reason I point out the uh the lack of contrast Val is when I was work I spent a three three months the only full-time job I've ever had real job mm. is working in a lab printing black and white for three three months oh wow and that the, the what I would do is like I was the junior printer and uh, I would print something take it out to the the office manager who would look at it and, and say it's too flat go back get more contrast mm. get more detail the white doesn't look good that's not a good black so this is now burned into my psyche yeah so so it's the first thing I notice when I when I look at a shot if I see it's too flat and the and the whites are are looking gray I think it really detracts from the image so um yeah so was this when were you printing were you actually doing darkroom printing is that what you're saying darkroom printing with you know the fixer and the Mm, developer remember that's and I Dank. I reeked of like it's not so yes. much the developer; it's the fixer that it gets into your clothes. And uh, I remember like sometimes friends would stop by at lunchtime, and and uh, we'd have lunch together, and uh, the, I'd get into their car, and they go, "You reek of uh, fixer." It's oh like, no. You know, just get but and and you'd spend all day in a dark hole underground. Mm. 
know, it's like I'm I'm kind of pleased that uh, I only lasted three months there, <laughs> um, but it was a really like good experience. I think that's where I learnt how to properly expose mm. um, film and, and images and uh, the, the most about photography in that three months. It's thing, a fascinating mentors. Yeah, but it's great it, that you had that opportunity because a lot of people these days. never step into a dark room and have will never will never experience what it's like to have all those trays and to and and to get the film and to what they do with that and put the paper in and dodge and burn and and people will you know never see what it's like for an image to actually appear right in front of their eyes it's uh, as if by magic, yeah. It, well, it, that's how it felt, and it was that there was that. Um, so it's also instant now. You take a shot, look at the back of the camera, and, mm. and then maybe you'll look at your computer, and there it is. But like we had to wait, you had to wait, you had to process the film, mm. and then you're in the dark room looking at the image come up, and then there's just like the nervousness, and then it's like then you see it appearing, and it's coming in, and it's coming in, and. Uh, I kind of miss it, Val. Yeah, and yeah, that's right. You had to process the film and print the film before you even vaguely saw the semblance of your shot. Exactly. So you had no idea. There was like, you know, the, the, the quickest you could turn a file around was maybe, I don't know, three hours. Mm. Because if you took the time to, you know, process the films, dry them, proof them, print them, three hours, that would be considered light. Provided you had access to a dark room <laughs> yeah yeah which I did like and yeah. that was another added expense in uh, all the studios that I ever had like you know converting uh studio space converting uh, an area into a dark room there was mm. the added plumbing costs mm. so expensive so expensive not necessary anymore don't need it no it's amazing isn't it all right so we have another shout out to Keith Mackey and uh what what's uh Keith got to say uh, so Keith says, to all that have shot a, a wedding before alone, how do you cover it? Do you mm. choose to be down the aisle as the bride comes in or above? Mm-hmm. What's the what's the pitfalls? Did, did you shoot it as a photojournalism style or for uh, for the group shots? Or was it difficult gathering the families together? Mm-hmm. I've been questioning myself if it is possible to do this on my own. I have done quite a bit of portrait work and want to expand into weddings. Any advice would help. So, Keith, that's like normal questions to be asking and, and like mm-hmm. there are a lot of very successful wedding photographers that happily go out and shoot them on their own. I did um, – I've done many – quite a few weddings on my own. I'm just, like When I started out shooting, I did a lot of the work on my own as well. So the thing with uh, a wedding is it's all about the timing and uh, you have to pick your shots. So these days there are like, it's, it's not unheard of to have, I'll, I'll, like I cover a lot of weddings for magazines, Val. And mm. so I'll be the sort of, uh, journalist sort of photographer there covering the, the the hero shots and but then there's always and I get to watch the the wedding photographers do their thing and I've turned up to weddings and there's been like three of them mm. shooting and they're all over the place there's one in the aisle there's one shooting from the back there's one above and I'm sure now there's probably a drone hovering overhead just to get all the different angles so but you can do it on your own and it's just a matter of uh picking your moments Keith and um like I always wait uh 
I think the uh, important shot is getting the bride coming up the aisle. So I always make sure that uh, I go in first, get the groomsman, you know, and then position myself down um, outside, wait for her to come in, get her getting out of the car, and then run down the aisle, get myself those shots, and then it's a matter of being everywhere. And uh, you, after you've done a few, you sort of know when those key moments are going to happen and where to stand and be to make sure that you get the good shots. But the only way, Keith, to find that out is to just start doing them, you know, start doing them and get some pra- and maybe get some practice in by um, – trying to be a second shooter for another photographer so you can see what what he does and uh, get a feel of the timing of a wedding and how it works and, and work out how it can be done. But it can definitely be done and uh, how, how it's done, whether it's journalistic, photojournalistic style or more controlled, is entirely up to you. But I will say one thing, even though I am not a wedding photographer, I am a woman and if you're the only <laughs> photographer and you are going to be above, in the floor above, instead of getting me as I walk down the aisle, that will be your last <laughs> job with me. <laughs> I can tell you that for sure. So, yeah, make sure you get the bride coming down the aisle from the front because that is the hero shot. That's the <laughs> moment where she comes in. That's a big arrival. Entrance. Everyone, that's a big entrance. That's where everyone turns around and goes, oh, my yeah. God. It's beautiful. Yep. Don't want to see the top of my head. No, no, no. I want you to be right front and centre as I walk down that aisle. All right. So let's move on to this week's topic. And it's called One Light Wonders, how to create awesome portraits with minimal gear and time. Because increasingly we are faced with situations where you know, if we're traveling, we don't necessarily have the space to have all of the gear that we would like. And sometimes everyone's so time poor these days, they don't have a great deal of time to get their portraits done. So I think that this is a really good topic, how to create awesome portraits with minimal gear and time. I suppose this is also quite relevant for you, Gina, coming up to Sicily, you only have a limited amount of stuff that you can pack. So, you know, you have to make a decision. So where do we start on this topic, Gina? Well, so it's not just a decision for Sicily. I've noticed that it's for, like, a lot of the shoots that I do. So, like, there was a time, Val, when um, every shoot I did was an extravaganza, minimum (laughs) three lights, sometimes up to eight, right, Mm. for a shoot. And this would be for, like, even an actor's headshot would be mm. a three-light setup. Like every shoot I did in the studio, like every day I was always in the shoot- studio, rarely was I doing uh, location stuff. Mm. I considered shooting daylight that was lazy <laughs> and so was using one light. And then if I was going to do um, a, a shoot where it was flash on camera and shooting autofocus, that to me back then is the equivalent of wearing sweatpants and Ugg boots <laughs> when I left the house. It's like you've given up, you know. Dina, you know, there might be a lot of wear, our listeners who yeah, wear know, sweatpants so, and Ugg boots. I do. I've got a Val. I'm in my Uggies now. I don't have sweatpants on, but I do have my Uggies on. And like, I because I, I always said to my kids, the minute you see me wearing sweatpants out of the house, you know that I've given up. And so I've given up. It's like I will wear them because they're comfortable, Val. I don't uh-huh. care anymore. You get to a point where you go, I don't care. So anyway, but this is I'm talking about back then, like okay. you know, 
do uh, like a daylight shoot, I just would look at those photographers and say, that's lazy. That's mm-hmm. lazy. You know, because it's like if you're a real photographer, you <laughs> pull out the big lights and lots of them because bigger, better, 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 better. So, but so I take it you don't feel that way anymore. No, not at all, because it's like everything has changed. So, you know, um, the problem is that um, all like life, everything is faster now. So, mm. um, you know, what happens is like you're setting up, like people don't have, clients don't have the patience to wait around anymore. And, and what happens now is everyone is armed with like little zippy cameras or little iPhone cameras with all the apps. And like photographers have found themselves in these situations where they're on a shoot with a client and they're busy setting up these, like this happened to me, not like, not long ago I'm setting up this shoot I've got all my beautiful beauty lighting like a six light setup Val Mm -hmm. right amazing and while I'm doing that I hadn't even pulled out my first shot it was still early in the morning we were still tweaking tweaking getting it right the intern uh that's come along on the shoot has pulled out their iPhone taken a shot Mm -hmm. adjusted it tweaked it it's gone on social media oh my god you're fabulous that's a fabulous shot you know and they're going well the, the clients kind of like if they're not educated, they're going. Well, why are we still here? You have mm. shot. So we as photographers need to work out a way that it's like we all know. We know that our shots that we're going to light and finesse and tweak and put through Lightroom and color balance and do all these things are going to be a bazillion times better than the shot taken on the iPhone, which is going to be like grainy if you blow it up, right? But we have to work out a way now to um, get the shot a lot faster and in a lot more economical way and not make people, you know, hang around and show that, yes, we can have, you can have high-end, great quality shots, but we can also do that quickly. We're not going to, because people's patience, they just don't have it. Everything, everyone wants people, you know, shot quickly. So smarter, better images, higher quality, you know, without being as high maintenance. So that's what I want to get to uh, behind, uh, you know, on this podcast, Val. Mm, Okay, that sounds great. So So, it comes down to like a really, um, so... If I've, if I've got the opportunity and I'm really lucky and, and there are clients that will let me do this, I can do the full, you know, hero, beautiful studio shoot. And that obviously does happen and there's some big campaigns that I do that do that. That is great. But nowadays, that, like, I can break down um, all my photo shoots into, like, uh, basically into a few different kinds, all right? So, and then... I will choose the style of lighting and the modifier based on the style of shoot that I do. So do you want me to share the kinds of photo shoots that there are? Okay. Absolutely. So the first one, rare. Rare? Rare photo shoot, rare rare... style shooting. It's very rare. I call it the unicorn photo shoot valve. Okay. So there's several unsubstantiated accounts of this kind of (laughs) style of photo shoot. I personally have never 
seen it before, okay. but I've been told and I hold on to the hope that one day I'll experience this rare and beautiful phenomenon, right? <laughs> so legend has it that the photographer is booked by a client yes. and only these words are spoken. Mm -hmm. Take as long as you need <laughs> to get shot. Uh -huh. As long as you need. So very rare. So in this situation, you go for the beauty dish. Right. Because the beauty dish is like the heaven and hell of light modifier. So when you use a beauty dish correctly, it's, oh, my God, it's magic. Like you can hear angels say, ah, <laughs> you know, when the light is like spot. It's just like there. When it hits the sweet spot, Everyone looks incredible, okay? <laughs> but in the wrong hands, you tilt that dish two millimetres the wrong way and beauty becomes beast because <laughs> suddenly it creates ugly shadows and it just, it's like, it's not pretty Val. Mm -hmm. so, so this is uh, like... The, the the unicorn photo shoot where you've got time you've got time to experiment you've got time to tweak you can play around and experiment that's when i'd be getting the beauty dish out if you've been uh working as a photographer for quite a while and you've got some experience and you feel like you've mastered the beauty dish then maybe you can use it in these situations but it's even if you're very experienced mm -hmm. you need time with this light modifier, otherwise it's it's not fantastic. Okay. Right? So I always allow like a minimum with that light, with a model, 20 minutes to get it right. That's how finicky it is wow. to just get right. But when it's right, oh, my God, it's so right. It's so <laughs> stellar. Um, so the second kind of um, photo shoot is the Goldilocks photo shoot. So, okay. We've moved on from unicorns to Goldilocks. So it's about 30% of professional photo shoots. Uh, so not too fast, not too slow, just right. So the goal. <laughs> so um, if you're a photographer with a few photo shoots under their belt, this is the kind of pace would be very comfortable for you. So mm. this is the kind of environment where it's safe to work and, uh, and set up sort of a more precise kind of uh, lighting setup. So this is where uh, you've got time to test and, and finesse your lighting. So, mm. so you can work with a harder style of um, modifier. So you've got your, uh, your beauty dish or something like a deep octobox. Again, so they're, they're tricky. It's not like it's not – they're not easy lights to get right. You need the time to work out – what your lighting ratios are and where exactly to position your light. So you want time. So when you're doing the Goldilocks shoot, these modifiers are great and this lighting setup is really good. So whether you're using one or, or, or three, that, that's what you use. The third style mm -hmm. is the style that we're all like when you're a new photographer starting out, this is what's expected of you and, and um, all of us uh, that, that are, have been in the game for a while, this is what's happening with the industry and it's the right. I'm very busy and I'm very important photo shoot. So, <laughs> so who's busy, the photographer? No, the people that we're photographing. Oh, okay. We're very busy. We're very important. Everyone yes, is very yes, busy. Yes. Everyone is very important. So it's like, and and because it's like, what, like as I said in the intro, we've all um, got got these uh, 
iPhones that we've seen use, we see, we see the technology has made everything so fast that that's now expected of, uh, of photographers on a mm. set. So it's like if someone is getting a headshot, they're going to think it's three minutes max from start to finish. So if you're yeah. spending longer than that, people start to get a bit annoyed. So like it's our job as photographers, first of all, to try. I warn people. It's like I need 15 minutes with you. Okay, so right. tell them to start so that they they have that they know and that they don't start getting grumpy after three. But yeah. there's instances where it's less than that, and sort of I reckon the average photo shoot to take a shot of someone is now it's now dropped to between three and five minutes. Bell, wow! I reckon that's the average. That's Every, incredible. You know, 10, 10 if you're lucky. So um, while I still believe in unicorns and Goldilocks, this is the reality for photographers these days. So um, clients are constantly asking us to create it, like, you know, more content in less time. So 80 shots a day is considered normal in a catalogue, a wedding, a fashion lookbook or the PR world, and three cover looks a day, three cover looks in 15 minutes is uh, like just another day at the office for a celebrity photographer. That's what's expected of them. That's just what's expected. Yeah, yeah. You know, no one, maybe, you know, 10 years ago, like, people would have complained and it's like there is no way we can do that but now everyone accepts it that's like this is how it needs to be done and to boot it's like get it done in that time mm. deliver it deliver it the same day as well <laughs> and can we have files tomorrow because it's quick it's got to be done it's got this this is the scenario that most of us uh, find ourselves in and this is the worst scenario to be saying oh, i might uh, test out my new modifier today that i just got i'll pull it out of the box I've got three minutes to do a shoot, uh, might, uh, might bring out the beauty dish for this. So this is not the time to be doing that. So you want to find, you know, when you're doing these kinds of shoots, Val, you want to find that modifier that you just know inside and out and that, like, if you've got, like, that limited amount of time, you want a kind of to work with a lighting setup that's going to give you room for error that, that, like, you can uh, be a, a few centimetres out in the angle of your light. Like, you worked this out the other day when we were filming, didn't you, Val, mm-hmm. about the angle of light? Mm-hmm. Like, you were filming, you were lighting me. Ah, uh, yes. If, if you tweaked it a little bit, it was not good. Mm-hmm. But if you got it right, but, like, see how the, the difference is, like, it's millimetres, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, literally. So, but imagine having to do that under pressure when you're trying to light someone. Yeah. So. You want to find the kind of modifier that its range is a lot broader so that you can actually um, light people well, but even if you make a mistake and, uh, like, you, you knock your soft box, and this, is ha- this happens all the time, especially when we're working under pressure, someone can come onto set and just, like, knock the soft box yeah. you know, a few centimetres to the side so it's slightly out, but you can still get the shot and still get something salvageable. So... I think in these kinds of situations, that's when I really like the larger soft boxes because there's lots of room for error um, or something like a medium octobox or um, a medium soft box on location. So you've got um, like plenty of of room for error. Um, The other thing is if it's like like just starting out and just getting into this, I would start with something like an umbrella or an umbrella box as your first modifier because that gives you even more room for error because the umbrellas or umbrella boxes are the closest thing you're going to get to daylight so they spread lots of light around 
and they're really um, forgiving in the terms of light. So they're really easy to work with. And if you've got a high pressure situation, you're going to guarantee that you're going to get a good shot. You're not going to have the same finesse and, and shape and beauty of, say, like the harder kinds of light modifiers, but it's going to be as long as you guarantee that you get the shot and you'll have consistency, I think that's the sort of the light modifier to go with. Okay. Sounds good. Hmm. So what I've got, Val, is now mm -hmm. uh, I've got a whole series of images and I thought what we'd do is maybe just break them down and go through. And they're all – the thing that they all have in common is they're all shot with one light and under pressure. So okay. that, that we so, can talk about the ins and outs of some of these modifiers and uh, what's good and what's bad, pros and cons. So we're going to put the images in the show notes, which you'll find at ginamilitia.com, and that's M-I-L-I-C-I-A. All right, so in the show notes, if you want to have a look, the first image is of Natalie Rosa, and it's a great shot. She's a beautiful woman with blonde hair and there's great lighting on her face and there's lovely blurry background and she's wearing a black strapless dress and um, yeah where was this taken Gina and and what lighting did you use on on this? Okay so uh, this was taken in in the studio and basically uh, this is my point um, the the that we don't always need to light everything. So the first thing I say about lighting is if it ain't broke, don't try and fix it. So <laughs> look for if you uh, come into any situation and you find that the daylight is absolutely gorgeous, stick to the daylight. And this is an example of that. There is no way... Uh, a modifier or um, any softbox or, or beauty dish is going to create this sort of uh, beautiful lighting with the uh, the wrap in the background. And actually, there's um, the the light was being reflected uh, through a window, so there was kind of like uh, it's kind of created like a stripe of light across the face. Can you see that? And across the chest, Val, in the image. Oh yes. Yeah, so it's really magical. So that that was uh, so beautiful. It doesn't, uh, you know, um, I'm sure it helps it. Like Natalie's kind of a, like an Australian supermodel. So uh, she, she's absolutely gorgeous. Um, so um, that's the first thing. If you're going to be shooting under pressure and and you really want to get a maximum amount of shots and more bang for your clients' buck, then you know that try and um, try and offer them uh, some of the shots that you do in daylight situations. So just know areas around where you work or where, where you're about to work. Just scope those areas and try and find like that beautiful, we've talked about this so many times, like look for that gorgeous garage lighting, mm. those sorts of situations or look for areas where the good light and try and teach yourself to recognize those beautiful lighting opportunities. Like I remember like when we were in the Philippines, like even though I had lights, I kept going back to that uh, garage lighting situation just because like it, it was so, so beautiful. So that often will save so much uh, extra time and make the shoot, um, you know, go a lot faster and, and uh, you could deliver great stuff to your client uh, really quickly and then you fo you're focusing on um, the, the, the connection with the model and getting the pose right and uh, setting up the background and uh, creating a, a beautiful composition. So that, that's probably the first thing I look for. Okay, so the next shot we've got, I mean, so you're right, 
you use what you've got and, and make the most of what you've got. But sometimes you don't have enough light, particularly if you're shooting at dusk, for example. And the next shot we've got in the show notes is of a model and she's wearing this gorgeous ball gown in yellow and a very long flowy dress and uh, she's carrying some balloons. Um, but the shot is of her on the roof of seemingly a skyscraper with the a background of uh, the view of the city in the background. Yeah, yeah. So, so it, tell us it, about this shot. Again, Val, this, so this is a shot where, like, a bit dangerous. I had the model on the edge of a, one of the highest buildings in Melbourne and I was on the other edge of the building. Mm. So a bit of a high degree of difficulty. It, it was windy. The sun was setting quickly so the light was changing this is not the time to be messing around with like tricky modifiers or tricky lighting style so I just wanted to um, put in a beautiful soft light it needed to be lit but I just needed enough light to, to just lift lift her skin tone so the large soft box worked perfectly for this so it's forgiving even if I um, like missed uh, and uh, didn't get it quite right on her, it still would have been beautiful in this time. So this was like one of those like quick, quick, get the shot because like we're about to lose the light or someone's going to fall off the edge of the mm. building. So this is why I use uh, the large softbox and it, it really uh, does create, it's, it's, so, it's so forgiving, so perfect for this sort of situation. So you only had one light on her that's one light okay now we've got a great shot of actor harley bonner and it's in a laneway so kind of like a grungy laneway but he is in a suit and he's looking very dapper and handsome in a suit but instead of walking down the laneway he's actually riding a skateboard looking quite serious riding a skateboard down the laneway and this also looks like it could be around dusk as well um, or as the sun, you know, it's around the end of the day. But he is well lit and obviously you've used something to light him, but I'm interested to know how that would happen since he seems to be moving on the skateboard. So this is actually shot in uh, in the middle of the day, Val. And, oh. uh, yeah, so the way I've actually made it look like uh, dusk is by controlling the shutter speed. Shutter speed controls ambient. So what I've done is I've uh, uh, shot at a, shutter, a high shutter speed to mm. 200 in this instance um, so that it, it lowers, it, it kills off any ambient light in the shot. And then I've used a deep octobox, which uh, means that my, my light is just just going to be very narrow, a small deep octobox and just hitting his face. So it's like it's like a soft spotlight that just hits his face and then it feathers off uh, down his body. But like you can see that uh, in the shot, it's like a spot uh, on his face down the middle of his body and then it drops to darkness by the time it gets mm. to his uh, feet and to the ground so that it does give that that uh, that sort of um, dusky feel about the shot and I wanted a moody look for this image. So in that case, that's why I went for that. But once again, it's one light. One yeah. light is all you need to, to like, that, that whole area. So and, and I can work very quickly and I wanted, I needed a light that was mobile so that I actually had an assistant holding that with a, a, a stick so the voice activated light stand <laughs> so that he could be, as, as, as the um, Harley on the skateboard is coming towards camera, the, uh, the assistant is actually moving back following with him so that the light remains consistent and I'm tracking him with continuous focus. Fantastic. 
Now, the next image we've got in the show notes is of singer Anthony Kalea, and it's a black and white shot of him where he, I think he's probably sitting on the ground or he's leaning against a wall anyway, and he's got his um, arm up so that his head is almost resting on on his his one of his fingers or on his thumb, but he's looking directly in the camera. So he's turned to look directly at the camera to his right, and um, it's but it's quite tightly cropped, and he, he looks great. It's in this great black and white shot. He looks quite intense. You know, he's wearing a t shirt. Um, yeah, it looks like you've. Have you lit? Because it looks like daytime. The background does look like it is yeah. daytime. Yeah. And um, but he looks very, very well lit from the front as well. So what have you done there? So this shot is actually lit, and uh, it's lit using a grid spot uh, oh. on on a flash head. So now, in case there are any newbies, tell us what a grid spot is. So grid spot is like a honeycomb um, uh, grid that you place over over uh, the flash head. So like they can be uh, all different shapes. You can get square ones that go onto soft boxes. You can get circular ones that fit uh, over the reflector of a light, and basically, and you. Can can actually get uh, rectangle ones that fit over speed lights as well and what they do is they contain the flash they narrow the beam of a flash so that it's um it becomes more like a spotlight valve mm-hmm. okay so that it becomes really narrow so that you just the flash is only hitting certain areas and it's not going to spill everywhere which is what happens if you have if you have if i just had uh, a flash with a naked flash on, on his face, the light would go everywhere. I just wanted to contain it in a very narrow area. The thing I love about the grid spot is like they're, they're a budget beauty dish, basically. Mm. But that's how I work with them. And it's like I will just aim that flat into someone's face mm. and you get it's a very hard light. But if you angle hard light flat, into someone's face so that there isn't an area for um, shadows to be created, it's a really beautiful light. And if you get the exposure correct, it ends up looking just like a beauty dish. But if you try and angle this light, it's awful. So you've got to hit flat the face. So you've got to be like really precise with how you angle it. But it makes people's eyes just like stand out. And it's because it's a hard light. Uh, it gives you a really crisp look to the image and it's just, uh, I think it's beautiful. It's its like one, I need to get back to using it more because I haven't used it for a while. Yeah, it's a bit. Style of lighting. Herb Ritz-like. Yes. particular shot. Yeah. So let's move on to uh, the next shot in the show notes, which is of singer Tina Arena. And she is sitting in what looks like, you know, like a posh hotel or a posh hotel room or something. And she's wearing a black dress, sitting on an armchair, um, but her body is facing away from the camera and she's turning, looking quite intensely at the camera, but uh, the lighting is very soft and, and it, it's, it, it makes her features really soft and lovely, yeah. it seems. So this is one small soft box on her face, brought in quite close to make it soft. So it's like a uh, 45 by centimetre by 45 centimetre soft box, uh, just held sort of camera right, 
just slightly above and uh, close enough in so that it wraps around and, and lights her um, cleanly on the face. And then the rest is created just by using a, a very narrow depth of field and I'm picking up on um, any lighting that's already uh, in the background of, of the shot. So I'm using what's there. So I go in, I take a reading of my overall shot, mm. get my background looking the way I want it, and then I'm just adding a bit more uh, flash in just to clean up the skin tone. And so really simple, simple technique. But when you look at it, it looks like it, it's been lit with uh, more than one light. Mm, yeah. Now, the next shot, I was there when you took this shot because it's a photograph of Philippe um, on the boat uh, in Cebu when we yeah. went out on the boat. And he is perched at the very tip of the boat. The, the, the boat has a very long um, ending to it. He's perched at the very tip and he could fall in any second. And yeah. you were perched not that far away from him. No. And, yeah. I was, uh, and I was I was watching, you know, you trying to get the right angle and it was fantastic. But also while all this was happening, the sun was going down and yeah. we needed to make sure that we got the shot before all of the light went or while the light was still in that magical kind of colour. So, um, but you've managed to do that because also you had to make sure that you um, exposed to the right skin tone because he had quite dark skin. Yep. How did you, maybe you can explain this shot. He's, what, what it is, is Philippe is perched at the end of this boat while we're in the middle of nowhere, surrounded by miles and miles and miles of ocean. So most of the sh background of the shot is ocean and then there's some sky in the background as well. But uh, he's just there kind of crouching at the end of the boat looking directly at the camera. It's a very strong pose. So this is really, really tricky and a kind of a sort of high-pressure situation. There is no way that I would have risked putting a uh, – was, I was scared enough having my flash on the end of a light pole out in the middle of the ocean. But to then add a, a, might, a light modifier on the end of that mm -hmm. and to have to be manoeuvring around that, there was nowhere for me to go. I had one spot in the boat. I couldn't sort of scooch across to the left or the right. I was fixed there. So I needed some Something really small to angle the light in and so here is the cheapest and quickest uh, style of lighting modifier if you're on the go and I use, actually use this a lot in small rooms when I'm traveling on the go because it's so portable and that's that little plastic uh, dome that goes on the end of a uh, speed light mm-hmm they're a dollar fifty Val. Wow! It's the most underrated of light modifiers ever. Mm. So, like, you can just buy them or just get a like a, um, a an old milk bottle and make your own. <laughs> you know, a milk. Um, you know those plastic uh, two liter bottles of milk. You know, right. yeah. So that's the same sort of material. Just make your own, but it's like a little dome goes over the flash, and this way I could actually uh, get the flash quite close. Once you get those uh, that style of flash quite close to someone's face, the light's going to be soft, and it's going to wrap around and, and provided just the right light for me to, to get this shot. So I exposed for the background and then I actually had to chimp Val because mm -hmm. there was no way I was going to get out to the edge of the, the pointy bit of the <laughs> boat. What's the front bit called? The mm. pointy bit at the front. The um, bow. 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 
there was no room for me. I would have ended up in the in the drink. So mm. um, I had to chimp. So I I had to guess the exposure, um, and I got it in a in a few frames. Mm. Not ideal. I'd rather take a reading, but I couldn't. So no. this worked well. And again, it's like. High pressure, the light's going down, the boat's moving, it's bobbing up and down. There's three people holding on to the assistance so that they don't fall in. <laughs> you know, you've got to make the call that you can't always have it the exact way that you want it with the right modifier and you've got to make the best. And, and uh, I, think, I think it worked pretty well in, in this situation. Yeah, fantastic. Now, we've got a whole heap of different uh, images that um, where Gina has used, you know, different lighting scenarios uh, in the show notes, but we don't have time to go through all of them. So do have a look at them at ginamatlisha.com. So I'm just going to highlight a few that I think are particularly interesting that I'm certainly curious about. I'd like to scroll down to the one that you've got of two people now, they are of actors Sean McCaleb and Kat Stewart. And Gina has shot both of them. They're holding hands and they're in sort of like a um, like a corridor, but it's like an outdoor corridor. Yeah. Um, and there's columns on either side of them. So there's some great leading lines. Mm. And they're in the middle of this corridor. And um, so it is daytime and you can see there's a blurry blurry background and it is daytime but they are beautifully lit and I want to know how you achieved that lighting Gina because if we were relying on the just the daylight lighting that's only coming in from one particular side because there's building on one side yeah. and then there's open space on the other side with columns in between. So, so this is a typical publicity shoot Val like we've got these two people we need to get this uh, sh- shot out but they're busy, they're busy, you've got five minutes, what can you give us? So mm-hmm. it's like, and in that time I've got to find the location, get, get them set up and shoot and get something that's going to work. There's no time to tweak and test. So I used my um, 45 centimetre square softbox with a speed light and that's it. It's one light, it's set out to the side. Uh, not even I don't even think I had an assistant. I handed mm. the softbox to the publicist. <laughs> so that's and that happens a lot. It's like so I'm giving up control at that point because I know they're not going to hold it in exactly the spot that I want it because they're busy on their phone talking. They're not really paying attention. So you need to have something that's going to allow you that that little bit of room for error if they kind of move a little bit to the side or that they drop it down too mm. low or things like that. It'll still give you good lighting that's why I love this softbox so much now another one I'm particularly interested in that we've put the image in the show notes is a foxtel marketing shot for a show called Gogglebox so basically Gina did the publicity shots for this show on foxtel which is the cable channel in Australia called Gogglebox and if you're not familiar with Gogglebox it's hard to say isn't it Gogglebox it's where families or friends or you know flatmates sit and watch the television but the camera is on them so it's actually their reactions to certain shows so what you Gina needed to achieve was to it, what could have been a very static shot a family watching television but there she's got a family I think a mother and a father and two young two daughters who are laughing but she needs to actually illustrate that they're in front of a television so I'm curious Gina 
there's there's something that appears to be light from a television. A, was it a television? Or B, did you set up a light to simulate light from a television? And how else did you light this family with, with, who are in a fairly nondescript, otherwise, you know, lounge room? Yeah, it's nondescript. It's actually a beautiful mansion that they live in, this family. It's right. absolutely gorgeous. But we like, had to make it sort of fairly look, looking fairly plain. But it's one softbox fell. So the, what I needed to do was create a sort of lighting style that looked like evening in there because you can see the, mm -hmm. the visual cues are the lights are on above their head. Yeah. Uh, so lower light. So But one large softbox camera right. Pretending to be the That's, television. That's what's lighting them, yes. Uh -huh. So, and and because I had four people that were going to be moving all over the place, if I had a harder light source that mm -hmm. I used, a light modifier, I would have got a lot of shadowing. Like, you know, it's, it's not going to have the same spread and reach as, uh, as a large softbox. So that's why this works so well. And, you know, like... Uh, an umbrella would have worked as well in this situation. It would have looked a lot more like daylight, but it wouldn't have given me the same beautiful fall off that sort of is that visual cue that it's it's nighttime, not daytime. Mm. So that's why I went for the large softbox. And again, it's got there's room for error, there's room for movement. It's kind of you know it's getting the, the award for the best all rounder, Val. Mm -mm, yeah. So another one that I'm curious about now, Gina has a shot here of the four judges on The X Factor. And uh, they are um, Mel, C, B, D, whatever. <laughs> I don't know, one of the Spice Girls. Um, uh, Guy Sebastian, Nath Natalie Bassingthwaite and Ronan Keating, who were the four judges on The X Factor in Australia at the time. And uh, this is actually on the set of The X Factor. You know, where they're, they're standing in front of the stage of where the people sing. So I'm assuming this is in the studio, obviously. There's already artificial studio lights happening above because this is a television studio. Did you have to bring extra lighting to shoot these people? Yeah, so this is shot for the cover of a uh, TV magazine, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, if you want to add high degree of difficulty, you've, you just so you know, uh, this was shot uh, on filming day. Uh, and the brief was, okay, so basically there's the audience which is in a stadium, a football stadium size audience, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't know how many thousands of people that is. <laughs> we'll welcome the judges on, crowd go nuts, and then you have 30 seconds to set them up, get the, come on stage, direct them, get the shot, and get off because we're holding the show for you. you they seriously time. told you you had 30 seconds? Yes. <laughs> really? So, yeah. So I've got my little flash set up and because it's like the, the, the lights that they have to light the set are enough for television, not enough to get a good shot for a, for a still, for a cover, because otherwise I'd end up shooting at ISO 2000 or 3000 to get the depth of field. So I had to add flash. Mm -hmm. So again, I've got my um, little softbox and uh, again, the publicist, gets to hold so I'm briefing the publicist in in the in the wings as we're about to go on don't just hold it like this don't move it so when we get on I just nod you bring it up and we shoot okay I should be able to get 
10, 15 frames off in that time. Mm-mm. And that's that's the pressure that you're under. It, there's no time to, oh, hang on, hang on. I'm just going to take a light reading uh, and get it right. So it's pretty much uh, chimping. We kind of mm-hmm. manage to guess uh, in commercial breaks, jump on and do a, a guess and then get the shot. Wow. So, again, that, that, that little soft box is such a good all-rounder. It really, it, it's like it saved me on so many occasions. Make sure you put the link to that softbox in the show notes, Gina. I will. Now, finally, I want to talk about a shot which is in the show notes of Daniel Radcliffe, which many people will know uh, is Harry Potter, plays Harry Potter in all the Harry Potter movies. And this is a shot really very tightly cropped of Daniel's head or his face. He's looking very intensely at the camera. And I can't actually tell where this was taken because it is so tightly cropped. Uh, but he is lit with some modelling on his left, um, so you can see some shadows there, and he is lit fairly brightly um, because it's his 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 skin seems quite blown out and almost translucent, almost a little bit ethereal. Um, tell us about where you got, and it really makes his eyes pop as well. What tell us where you did this shot and what you had to do in order to light it. So that's a uh, six-star hotel in Melbourne, not not five-star, six. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just just a better quality of tea, I think, that they serve there. (laughs) And um, one softbox. Again, this wasn't going to be a situation where I had time to muck around. I did have Mm -hmm. like an allotted, I think, 15-minute session, but I had a a lot of uh, photos to get in that time wasn't a time to experiment so I went with my uh, large softbox but what I did do in this shot is I wanted to uh, not have square um, catch lights in his mm. eyes so what I did with my softbox is you can get uh, little adapters that uh, like velcro onto the inside of the softbox to make the the catch lights round instead of rectangular so mm. he looks like he's lit with maybe an octobox or a beauty dish but it's actually a soft box so it's how to make the the box look uh look round for those of you who are the purists who want round catch lights rather than square a whole other conversation though Val so this was like get it really quickly um you know make make sure I nailed the shot and uh you know worked with the, the 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 sure bet I think I had that I didn't you know, really want to muck it up. It's Daniel Radcliffe, so <laughs> I, went, I went with the uh, the soft box because it's like it's it's not easy. Like it, it, normally, this would be such a simple shoot, but when you've got the guy, the D- Daniel Radcliffe, the A-list star, plus fifty other people in the room all watching you shoot, mm. it's sort of a whole new ball game. Yeah, right. Well, um, you definitely. It sounds like you're quite in love with this soft box, and it is has become indispensable to you in many shoots. So do please do make sure that you put the link in the show notes because I'm sure people are going to be quite curious as to exactly which one it is. But now we're almost at the end of our episode. Before we wrap up, Gina, you're going to Sicily. What else is um, – is that pretty much the thing that's consuming your brain at the moment? I think that's enough, don't you think, Val? <laughs> I think that's enough. <laughs> yeah, I think so. But tell us what you are doing in Sicily and what do you want to achieve and come back with? 
So a couple of things are happening in Sicily. There's uh, a, uh, a workshop that I'm going to be doing for the first week. So that's uh, Sicilian food tours. Um, and I think there's a few, few, few people from the uh, podcast listeners coming along. So I'm mm. excited to meet you guys and, uh, and work with you. And then um, the uh, second half of the trip, I am uh, filming for the next couple of courses that we're creating, Val. So uh, right. one on um, ha- uh, how to get off uh, auto and uh, the other one is a lighting uh, um, a course that we're working on as well. So I'm going to be getting uh, lots of content for that while I'm away as well. Great. And for those of you who are in the gold community at ginamilitia.com, uh, we've just uploaded a whole new set of videos and tutorials on a behind-the-scenes look at the A-List Television Awards ceremony, which um, Gina shot the other day. And uh, it's a great voyeuristic look on what happens behind the scenes, how shots are get, how Gina gets the shots, how she directs some of these people, um, how she doesn't need to direct some of these people because they're kind of like old pros, um, how she arranges people who are in a cast of, you know, several, several people in, in one shot so that they look like they all go together and it looks natural. Uh, but, yeah, it's, it's in the tutorials in the gold community at ginamilitia.com. And if you are interested in finding out more about the gold community, uh, just go to ginamilitia.com and click on join the community and it's ex- all explained there. And it's great fun. There's some great people in the community uh, asking some fantastic questions and people also sharing their experiences as well, getting photo critiques from Gina. You know, these are really wonderfully comprehensive photo critiques where Gina actually goes through the photo, sometimes retouches them, um, manipulates them, and you can see what's possible with with Lightroom, with, you know, whatever the various things that Gina uses. Uh, there's also um, monthly masterminds so that you can ask Gina questions. And uh, Gina is in the community all the time answering questions. Yes. So we, yeah, do join us. We'd look forward to um, having you in the community. Uh, and until then, wait, wait, wait. Let's do uh, Gina challenge. Oh yes, now. hashtag Gina challenge. Just hashtag Gina challenge, which is a weekly challenge that we have with a different theme. And you can go and uh, upload your photo onto social media or come into the free Facebook group called "So You Want to Be a Photographer" podcast community. Just search for that and upload your photo with this theme, which you can interpret however you like. Gina, what is hashtag Gina challenge? One light. Okay. Hashtag Gina challenge is hashtag one light. So interpret that however you, you like. You can either shoot one light or you can use one light in your shoot. Uh, but it'd be most interesting to see what you guys come up with. But until we speak again next week, thank you so much for listening. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Photographer. For more information, free resources, and Gina's regular newsletter on everything you need to know to become a successful photographer, visit ginamilitia.com.